Welcome to the suicide present yeah, the suicide prevention show. We are here waking up the world. And one of the powers that you have to help wake up the world to what you believe is important to the world is your power to tell your story, to help us tell stories in ways that save lives. We have none other than my friend, Len McLaughlin. So without further ado, please help me welcome into the studio, Lynn, the most amazing Lynn. Please turn on your camera and join me. And as we all know, tech is a thing. So yes, my the host has needs to allow me permission. Aha, <laughs> uh -huh. there we go. So as my amazing tech person waves her magic wand, there, there you go. are. Hi. Hi, how are you, Lynn? I am fantastic. Yourself? Doing well. Doing well. Love the show. And so, Lynn, telling stories. I mean, when I was growing up, I got in trouble for telling stories. <laughs> but something tells me that's not exactly what we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> how did you end up first deciding to tell your story? Oh my goodness, that is a complex question because it goes back a long time. Um, the first time I was driven to tell a story was after a, a life, a year in my life with a brain tumor. Um, and I need to just give this little segue because I was one of eight people in an executive position at our local board of education with 34,000 students. I'd met my career goal. I did what Tim did. I had my 10 year plan. Uh, it worked out in one year into the role I was, um, uh, I'll use the pun, hit in the head with a hammer and found out I had a brain tumor. So uh, total diversion, everything stopped. And two years later, after going through all of that and my family going through it, I thought we learned so much about ourselves and as a family, we needed to, to tell that story. And I had, I'd been journaling through the entire time. So I'd been journaling for my own healing and in, in my own therapy, shall we say. And those journals eventually became my first book. And, and the feedback from that book from people who said it made a difference to them, it gave them hope, it helped them stay grounded, it helped them focus on the possible solutions, um, really drove me when, when I moved forward and then retired. And, and then long story short, the next, the next roadblock in my journey was my daughter's mental, mental health and, and su suicide attempt and ideations and I mean, uh, two and a half years of our lives that were shook into the core, as you well know, Jackie. Um, and telling that story now has been a long time coming. She's, uh, she's doing really, really well right now. We had a wonderful conversation today. She doesn't live at home, but she happens to be home for the week. We talked openly and honestly about this. And she was part of a book that I wrote and telling her story, but it's, it's taken baby steps. And now that I'm speaking about it more openly because of people like you, Jackie, who've, who've opened the doors to, you know, don't not only invite us to do this, but say, this has to be the norm. It's becoming more natural. It's still very emotional. It's still very real and raw. But now telling this story is helping parents, sisters, brothers, grandmas, friends, and people who are struggling themselves to see things in a different way. So I think I went on a little squirrel mission there in answer to your question, <laughs> which I warn you, I do. <laughs> You know, the, the power of the squirrel is not to be underestimated on this <laughs> because 
the more we allow ourselves to just allow things to come out of our mouths without censoring, the more mm-hmm. interesting life becomes. And I think the more we are actually able to create connections with other people in a world that has become afraid of words. What we're going to, we're going to go where angels fear to tread and we're going to talk about story. Mm-hmm. Because Lynn, it's one thing to experience having your entire life get sort of reframed by a brain tumor. Mm-hmm. It's another to be willing to publicly share about that journey. What did you have to decide before you could write your book and publish it and actually let people know? Because there are hundreds and thousands of millions of books that are conceived and inside Mm -hmm. people. There are almost that many that have actually been written some of those have actually been published and most of those have never been shared. They're published, yeah. but they're not promoted or shared. What were the decisions you had to make to take your story from your journals to published and promoted? Yeah, for both books. Uh, 80, little, little fact here, 80% of us um, have a book in us, but only 2% of us actually go through the publishing. So your, the answer to your question is it's identifying what your barriers and your blocks are. And that's the first thing I help people do to help. I help other people tell their stories in various ways too. What's holding back? And for me, um, well, in terms of the latest book, which was about my daughter and I's journey, although fictional, it was, it was the vulnerability. It was exposing um, yourself and all of your fears and, and the things, you know, you did wrong or felt you did wrong and letting that guilt out there. And then the fear for the other person who's also in, in the book. Are you, uh, are you still want to protect them? Is it okay that they want to tell their story? So and it's for some people, the barriers are just as simple as money. And there's so many different ways to publish the, these days. That should never be a barrier. But the first thing is saying, what are my blocks? I really have a story in me. What are my blocks? And, and maybe telling your story isn't through writing. Maybe it's through a podcast. Maybe through it's, a, through it's an interview maybe through it's a radio show. I mean, there's lots of different ways to do it, but taking that first step and saying, what's stopping me? And then figuring out solutions to get around around those barriers because your story needs to be told. Your story is going to help other people who are struggling to say, I'm not alone. I know it's a cliche, but it's so true. Well, I don't know if it's a cliche or not because I don't have a clear definition of what a cliche is, to be honest. (laughs) But I will say that what you're talking about parallels what my journey was to the TEDx stage Mm. and what led me to doing what I'm doing now. So this is really critical for me. The questions of why I'm not telling my story. Why not tell my story is a really powerful question. So for everybody listening, everybody watching, write that down. Why not tell my story? This is the clearest path to be able to implement on getting your story out there is if you understand your why nots, because then you can address them. Mm-hmm. And the power of this, Lynn, is just lovely. 
when it comes to the why not tell my story, and it's because it wasn't just your story, when we're talking about what led you to create the book Jackson, that the, the fiction story based on your experiences as you know, the two of you and your experiences in that dynamic of when someone is actively at risk of taking their own life, which I lived for many years as a parent, you've lived for many years as a parent, Many parents don't know that they're living it. And that's my why for telling my story. Mm-hmm. My why not were, it wasn't my story. It was my daughter's story. Yeah. That was my belief. So my daughter had to give me permission. And asking for that permission was asking the toughest question. I have ever asked was the day that my final TEDx coach, the one that took me from being vulnerable to being naked, said, Jackie, you've got to tell the story of that day. And I'm like, but I don't remember. It was just a day. And it was a normal day right up until it wasn't. And then my coach said, well, can you ask your daughter? And I went, I don't know. Uh, I guess so. And I had to get really real because my conversation with my daughter was um, honest. And it was, hey, uh, Stephanie, I need your help because I don't remember. Hmm. I don't remember the day, what was going on the day that you first tried to take your own life. And Stephanie, God bless her, started laughing. And she said, mom, it was the shopping. Shopping. And that one simple statement from her gave me a tool for overcoming all of my other blocks. Because people think that, oh my God, yo, if my kid is, my kid can't be in danger because they, we don't have any of these big traumatic things going on in our lives. You know, we don't have any of the obvious suicide risk factors that you can find on the Center for Disease Control site. That list led me to create the suicide risk indicator factor assessment, the suicide risk factor assessment, because what's over here in the mental health realm had nothing to do with shopping. It just didn't correlate with reality. So being willing to ask yourself, what are your blocks? And then go into what do I need to do? Who do I need to ask to resolve the block? Is definitely going to help people get their stories out Mm there. So overcoming the incremental blocks is a wonderful, wonderful skill set. What? led you because your first book was not fiction your first book was your journey you know the the, and I don't remember the title of your first book to be honest but all I'm going is the story of the tumor in my brain yeah we called it steering we called it steering through it yeah we're steering steering through through it it. kind of a theme it's it's a theme in a lot of what I do now it's a a navigating theme (laughs) well yeah because that's the theme of your podcast it is yeah yeah. Yeah. So steering taking the helm. It. Yeah. Steering through it is the book. Taking the helm is the podcast. That's right. And then you took a totally different track and you wrote a fiction book. How did Jackson come about? 
So I go back to what I shared at the beginning about my role as a superintendent and my primary role was special education. Uh, we talk about workplace violence and all of those kinds of things. And so there were two worlds colliding there in, in the last couple of years in my, in, in my career, uh, colliding, but actually coming together in support of each other. And one was the number of students that we had with, with debilitating anxiety to the point where we had to come up with plans for them to maybe come to school for an hour. We had to increase supports and services. So what is happening to increase these levels of anxiousness, forget about diagnosis to the point where people's lives were being affected. And then my own daughter along the side, um, uh, whether we talk about a day, I mean, you can talk about the day, I've never actually talked about the first day, but so I was journaling. I started journaling again. That's what I do when I'm going through these things. And from my perspective as a parent, I felt alone. I felt, and I have two really great, beautiful friends who were going through similar experiences. But my writing, you can put it all on paper. You can swear, you can call the world names, you can blame, you can do anything you want and tear it up afterwards or do what you need to do. But getting it out helps you through. And when you're going through a period of time when you are agonizing and distressing over every text message, every phone call, what's happening? Is she okay? You got, you, you got to be talking to someone. And I wasn't. So my journaling was there. And then what she was going through as well. So I was, and I was in a judgmental place at that time. Why isn't she doing this? I told her to tell, we've gone to emergency. Why isn't she following up? Why isn't she? Why isn't it's the control piece of me? And I had to move through a process of realization that not only was my own mental health and well-being, I, I mean, I, I was in a horrible place physically, emotionally, but I was also not helping her to figure out what she needed to do for herself. My trying to control her was really trying to save her. I think I was actually enabling her illness because I was always the person there to answer. So long story short, um, things are going very well. She's actually about to graduate from university. We're waiting to hear the final mark. And um, about a year ago, we talked about it. And I did it. I started to draft the book. She wasn't in a place to write about it, but she had shared with me some of her own journal articles. And I did the draft. She read it. Yes, we have to share the story. Yes, we have to talk about it. Yes, people need to better understand. And, and Jackson came to fruition. But it wasn't just about Marina and I. It was about those two friends I was talking about. It was about the parents of the kids who couldn't attend school. And there were so many other stories that I wanted to pull into it. So by speaking with other people and doing interviews with other people, those two main characters called June and Jackson are really a compilation of experiences. Now, I will say June is probably, the more I think about it, 65, 70% me. Jackson is 50% Marina but it's, we're telling the stories of many individuals. So that's, that's how it all came, came about in it. And, you know, Marina's talked openly. She did a YouTube video on this. Um, she's taken on profs who said she couldn't have the accommodations. She's, she's really become a self-advocate for herself, but it was, it, that, those were huge hurdles and baby, baby, baby steps. So why not? Why not share that with other people? And you know what? From a parent's perspective to Jackie, you know this too. There are supports out there that we don't even think about, that we don't even know about. So there were two storylines here. I needed to help parents and guardians and friends and sisters and brothers to say, you got to get some help for yourself. 
we're not invincible. <laughs> you, you've got to. And of course, you want to be there with love and hope always for that, that, that person who's struggling so, so terribly. So again, well, I kind of went off on a tangent, but <laughs> no, actually, I don't think you went off on a tangent this time, Len. I think that that was really clear through line on all of this. I love the line, and this one's going to be a quotable, getting it out gets you through. Mm -hmm. That's what your experience was, that getting it out of your head and onto paper in your journals is what got you through, both the experience of the brain tumor and the experience of dealing with the higher levels of anxiety that you were seeing in your work with the kids in schools mm -hmm. and your experience as a parent of a suicidal child. So getting it out, get you through, I think is going to be the quote of this session, maybe of the whole, I love it. Um, of the whole season. So <laughs> we'll see. I mean, now, I've, now you've set a really high bar for everyone else who I'm interviewing this season. <laughs> I want to come back to something. What year was it when you were experiencing in your professional life these crippling levels of anxiety among school-age kids? What age, first, what age group were you talking about here? And because school age covers, you know, 12 years, what age group and what year? I retired in 2018. It would be the last three or so years before that. But you talk about what age group? We have day treatment programs for five-year-olds who are experiencing anxiety. Day treatment programs for little, little people. Um, and um, teenagers, the secondary school, I mean, it, 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 they were the largest, but seriously, right across the spectrum from when I talk about school entry to school exit. And it was really about re-envisioning, first of all, what, you know, uh, so we, we put child youth workers in almost every single school and trained them to be safe people, to help people feel like they had someone to go to, to speak to, who were trained, all kinds of different things um, that our board put in place. I was only a little piece of the puzzle with my team, uh, but it was really about rethinking about, and Jackie, you're doing it proactively. It isn't about, so, so we started to do things in early years classrooms, teaching emotional vocabulary. And actually my niece and I have just finished two books, uh, two first manuscripts of a children's book series where, okay, anxiety right now is one in 10 of us are experiencing anxiety to the point where it's affecting our lives. We gotta go back as you are, <laughs> as you are, to four-year-olds, to three-year-olds. So we created a children's book series in this imaginary planet where we're, we're teaching emotional words, emotional vocabulary. In the first book called I Have Choices, it's scared. All right, it's okay to feel scared, understanding the emotion, and then being able to have strategies and solutions to move through a problem-solving process to find a positive solution. And you know, you say it in different words, Jackie, but you know, if we give 10 tools to our four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, that level of anxiety is going to be decreasing because they're going to have solutions. And as you say, we do that proactively, then we don't have to live like you and I have when our kids are on the ledge and you don't know if they're going to be there in another hour. So I just, I just jumped on the children's book series because it does, it totally goes in with what you're saying and what, what, what you, you would talk about school boards and educators, it's education. Prevention starts with education, as you say. 
Well, I don't say prevention starts with education, but I might have to start saying it now because you put the work out there. <laughs> oh, I, wrote, I took yeah. notes. I wrote that down. I took notes. Maybe that was somebody else's talk yesterday, <laughs> but <laughs> there, there, there is so much that you are pulling in that I want to hone in on two things. One is I'm the co-founder of the Teen Suicide Prevention Society and I don't work with kids. So I want to clean this up for anybody. I follow the directions on the bottle of aspirin that say take two and keep away from children. So I don't work with kids. We do work with youth group leaders and we train the youth group leaders to help the teens become peer advocates. Yes. Because we know that if you're helping someone else, you're helping yourself at the same time. So that we're a firm believer in that if you are an advocating for someone else, if you are championing for someone else, you are helping yourself at the same time. And so that's how we get around the, I don't need help because everybody almost has this thing in their brain that is, I don't need help. You know, I don't ask for directions. I mean, we make jokes about it, but the reality is I don't ask for directions is the same thing as I don't ask for help. Mm. And we all have that beat into us by a culture that says, you know, you, you have to be able to do it yourself. And yet we know we don't, we don't do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so this is this journey of what you're doing to help get this message out. Here's the context. According to the Center for Disease Control, the youngest case that they are aware of, of suicide is six years old. Mm six years old. So the concept of anxiety is one label that we can put the emotional experience in. It's one bucket. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean it's the bucket that everyone is having their emotional experience in. Exactly. Anxiety is one. Shame is another. Hopelessness is another. Teaching emotional vocabulary, learning emotional vocabulary and we've got some great tools in the Teen Suicide Prevention Society that we give free access to, to everyone in the society. For this very reason, Lynn, there's a huge, huge gap between the experience of I'm alone in this fight. I'm alone in this journey. You had two other friends going through it at the same time, and yet you still felt alone. Mm -hmm. So this feeling of aloneness versus the reality that we're trying to help people understand through doing this show, there are resources here for you. Mm -hmm. And this is what you've done with the book, Jackson, with telling this story in a way that's very accessible to everyone. So how do you encourage, what would you encourage? How would you tell someone, tell your story, <laughs> tell your story. Get, get it down on paper. What's the one thing, if after they've asked the question, why not tell my story? What's next? Start writing. Start writing. Start using a device to do record to text. Do what you need to do. I you, you, People sitting down and writing for a period of time is sometimes a block for people because of all kinds of constraints in our lives. But this, this little device is absolutely amazing because if you're telling a story that's from an experience that you had, you can, you can share that. You can share that with your words, pretty free flowing. You record it, 
their devices now. You take that, boop, flip it off to text, and you're now starting to create your template, your story. And I tell people, don't get caught up on what you think the final. I, I was caught up because I wanted Jackson to be written like Paula Hawkins, where you know, there's a chapter with one person speaking in a chapter and you kind of have to figure it all out. And I had to let that go. And that's not the way it ended up. But when you get caught up on what the end, is it going to be chronological? Is it going to be by theme? It blocks your creativity. It blocks your flow. Just get it down. Get it out. Um, yeah. And, and, and try to figure out. I want to go back to what you said, if you don't mind, just a couple of minutes ago, uh, Jackie, about feeling alone and not reaching out. I think I will say, honestly, for me, not reaching out, and, and, and I know I'm not alone, there's this feeling of, I'll be judged. Oh. Uh, I, um, I'll be, she chose her career over her children. This happened because she wasn't present for her children. Oh, she missed that one basketball game. You know, that kind of a thing. Um, there had to be something that was happening behind those closed doors when the reality is, my goodness, I can tell you, I can tell you why I think my, my daughter was a sick child. It was a difficult birth. I can tell you about all that enough, all that stuff now looking back and I'm doing it to help other people. We can never do the shoulda, coulda, woulda, but we can tell our stories to help other people maybe take a different path and make other choices so that they don't have to have their children standing on a cliff. Now, I don't even remember where I started. <laughs> Let's, let's let's stick with this. Why not? Because okay. I'm going to put story aside for just a second. Yeah. Why not ask for help? When we explored this with the people studying the um, advocacy, with the people taking the mindset training, what we found was that people weren't reaching out for help for themselves for all of those reasons you just listed that come under the heading of other people's judgments. Yeah. A lot of them fell under other people's judgments. I don't want to be labeled as having a mental health challenge. Mm -hmm. I don't want to, I don't want my boss to find out. I don't want my family to worry about me. I don't want to risk being put into a 72 hour psychiatric hold if I tell someone who has to report by their laws of their license. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was all about, I don't want to risk being judged or the consequences of being judged. And so this is a very important thing to talk about. This is why we chose very, very consciously both for the show and for the society to shift it away from intervention and mental health and put the focus totally on pure prevention and the power of perpetual optimism. You know, this is where we chose to focus. And we did it because of all of those reasons people were not asking for help. We're like, okay, here's how you empower yourself for a better life. Here's how you improve your business. Here's how you improve your connections with people and your relationships. Here's how we deal with racism and dialing that down. Here's how we deal with addictions and dial that down. But it's not yours, it's somebody else's. Here's how you help. Mm -hmm. And by putting the focus over here, everyone can access these solutions and they are stigma free. Yeah. Because the reality is stigma was the stopper for almost everybody. It came under some form of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some yeah. form. So let's get back to 
when someone is going to tell their story? The answer for most people is I'm never going to tell my story. Why would anybody want to hear my story? My story is not that important. And, you know, all of these other things that we tell ourselves, if they do the why not tell my story and identify the blocks, and then they come into writing it down yeah. or speaking it or just getting the words somewhere, what's next? Well, that what's next is usually the biggest block and it's the overwhelming world of publishing. Um, you know, not to be self-serving here, but I, I, I wish, I wish in my first book, oh, I made huge blunders in my first book. I didn't understand distribution. I didn't, I, it, it, craziness. Um, and I didn't. Well, no, no, wait, wait, hold it, hold it, hold it. I okay. want the story of okay. what happened with your first book. You're not going to get away okay. from it craziness. <laughs> Come on, tell us about the blunders. Well, I, I did hire, I did hire a consulting company here in Oakville. I'm in, I'm in Southern Ontario and they were phenomenal in taking me through steps with experts, but you're an indie author. Okay. I didn't really even understand what an indie author is. So it's all I'm done. an indie author. An independent author. So you make your own choices. You're uploading your book to whatever platforms you want to sell it. You have all of these different options. There's enormous, there's so many options today. It's almost oh, okay. unfathomable. Yeah, okay, you're right, because I only knew of one, yeah. thank goodness, and that kept me out of the confusion. Okay. Yeah, so, so, so you upload your book, I uploaded my book to Amazon, I ordered 200 copies, um, unless you know about promotion and marketing and keywords and all those other kinds of things, I didn't know about any of that. I took my books and I went on the road and I did a book signing event here and a book signing event there and a book signing event there and a book. I mean, fantastic, I love meeting people, I would love to be doing that kind of a thing again. Um, but the book just really sat there in terms of, I didn't understand international sales. I didn't understand distribution. Um, the feedback was fantastic. So two years later, after I'd done my own research and, uh, and found a mentor, I understood distribution and I totally uh, published a second edition, but went through a company that has worldwide distribution. And I understood how to do Amazon ads and all of those things that I had no idea about the first time. And I don't want to overwhelm people because there's a process, right? Once you figure out how you're going to publish, then you look at all of the options within that publishing path. And there's so many right. choices. Let's, let's, let's come out of the overwhelm with so many choices okay. and talk about what was the blunder? Because it, it sounds like you just went on these independent exploration. What would, what would you do differently if you could start over? And I would yeah, I, I would have understood distribution right from the beginning. I wouldn't have just uploaded it as a file to Amazon and just thought the world would notice it with the how many thousands or hundreds of thousands of books that are published every year. You know, oh, it's my story and it's that important that the world will see when that that's just, you know, that's just living in a, in a fairy tale. So I, I would most definitely understand uh, distribution, promotion and marketing would be the three things that I so really had no idea. I'm going to peel back this because you said two things that I would have thought were mutually exclusive and yet both were true in your story. And the first one was that you worked with someone on your first book. Mm -hmm. And so you had some professional guidance on your first book. And the second one was that professional guidance for writing the book did not include understanding promotion and all the pieces under promotion, which include distribution and marketing, et cetera. So right. not all professionals are created equal because some of them are just about writing the book. 
And that's, so that, there we go. And you call, I wouldn't call it a blunder. I would call it just a gap in education. I mean, mm. who knew that, there, that somebody who helps you get your book done is not the same person who might help you get your book sold or viewed or make a difference in the world with it. The point of writing a book and sharing your story, I don't think you can do it wrong and I don't think you can do it for the wrong reasons, Lynn. And that's why I was so excited when you could be on the show. I think that getting your story out, you know, getting it out, gets you through, like I said, great quote. Um, mm -hmm. That's the first purpose of writing the book is to get it out so that you can get through. Mm -hmm. The second is making a difference with it, which is what you were doing with your first book. You know, will my story help someone else dealing with? And it didn't have to be a brain tumor. I mean, it was any kind of, uh, you know, script change in life because you were handed a significant script change. Yours happened to be medical. But we get script changes. I mean, let's face it. The last year, we have gone through a global script change. Okay. With, with the whole COVID pandemic. So we get script changes and your book is a guide for that. So then it became who needs this and how do I reach them? Yes. And I think that's the key to any kind of marketing. If we could distill marketing down to those two things, who needs this and how do I reach them? By the way, I'm going to be doing a marketing survey for, the, for everything that we're doing in the Teen Suicide Prevention Society. And I want everybody watching this and listening to give us feedback on who needs our message and how do we reach them? Because we're looking for that information from the world right now. Who needs the message and how do we reach them? Your next steps in your book, in your first book, was what you tried and then what you ended up doing. You know, all the different ways that you tried. What was different about Jackson? and your experience with publishing Jackson? I knew what to do. I, I, I knew exactly where I was gonna go. I knew which publishing, pub, publishing path. I knew the questions to answer. I knew, I looked, I knew, understood all the package choices, what I needed, what I didn't need. I added, I changed. I, I put demands in to get, you know, more than they were offering. Like certainly just like, just like um, I, I have been with my daughter, have been in my own life, it's advocacy. It's it's putting yourself in that position, having the knowledge and the experience to say, I'm not settling for anything less and, and choosing that way to go. And I went with a hybrid publisher who has a huge distribution platform, 60 books, 60 copies of my book were just purchased by the local children's aid society for foster parents. Does that not warm my heart? Okay. So I have now figured that out. Now it doesn't mean that that hybrid company is doing all the promotion. No, it's very much still on my plate, but I know what I'm doing. And you said it earlier, it's, it's identifying your audience, Jackie, who's the audience, who are the people that this is going to make a difference to? It isn't, whoop, just put it out there and you know, people will find it. No, no, it's too hard. <laughs> oh, it's wait, you mean, hard. you mean it doesn't work if if you write it, they will buy it? No, if you write it, they won't. No, no. It's not like the field of dreams. No, <laughs> build it and they will come. No. <laughs> it, it is very much a question. Why not promote the book? I'm just going to keep us back on this theme of the why not. 
Why not? If you're going to write a book, why not promote it? Len, what gets in the way of people promoting their story? Uh, scams. Honestly, that's a that's a big part of it. And for the first whoa, 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 hold it. Did <laughs> yeah. you say scams? I did. People will okay, pull so you tell in. Tell us and say, about the scams. We don't. I don't well, understand. You know, I I'll make you a best-selling author. Boom, that pulls you in right away. You know, if somebody says that to you, run the in the opposite direction because nobody's making you a best-selling author. People can give you the tools that you choose to use them to become a best-selling author, or. Um, uh, they can um, have a system for that that works. I get this, but the question exactly. is, what happens after you have the bestseller badge? Well, exactly, and and the other the other piece is these companies where you pay three hundred dollars and your book goes out to anybody who wants to read it to write a review. Well, guess what? Nine times out of ten, you just paid two hundred fifty dollars and you might get one review out of it, and they're honest reviews. You're not. You're asking people, but you're giving them the book for free. So they write reviews, but all of this stuff adds up to a lot of money. So it really is honing in on what is the best marketing strategy for you. And it may okay. be, you have to figure that out. And that's why mentorship is so important. And I wish I had found one much, much sooner. All right. So we're going to come back to this. You're, the definition of a scam is that the idea that getting a best-selling badge means your book will have buyers. Mm. They get it, they're a best-selling badge. A best-seller's badge is a great credibility piece. Don't get me wrong. It is a great credibility piece for how it makes the author feel. At least that's what it was for me. And it did not guarantee me any book sales. And, you know, it didn't guarantee that my message would get out into the world. And my publishing experience was very different because my first book was written for a very specific audience my own student. And so I wrote the Your Path from Secret to Success. It's a seven-week sales guide. And I wrote it to go along with the course I was teaching at the time, Ultimate Sales Mastery. And because it was for that very niche audience, I wasn't focused on sales or needing to be a best. I ended up being an, an, an unintentional Amazon mm -hmm. international best-selling author with that book. But what happened after that was that it just, it's there. I just never knew that there was another piece. Yeah, that the book could have more of a reach beyond my students. Because I had never asked the question, who is this for? Huh. Other than my students. I hadn't asked who else is this for? It's the second and, question. What is yeah. my why, my purpose, and who is this for? <laughs> and so... When you go back to your first book and you went into this whole promotion thing and you got your story out to a wider audience and now you've learned all those lessons, you're publishing Jackson. Jackson's a fiction book. What had to change with your strategy? What changed from your first book to your second one? Well, it is very different. I mean, you're talking about fiction. You're talking, you're in competition with science, sci-fi and all of these other things, but really is is, is promoting it so people understand that it's based on a real life story. So the way it was written was very clear. I had a good friend who's a social worker, a clinical social worker, who's an amazing man, write the introduction, which was very clear what the purpose was. It represented real life stories. Um, so so it, it is different calling it a fictional thing, but you also have some more latitude. So I could make the parent, I could make June whatever career she wanted to be, right? You have some latitude um, 
but as the facts are the facts. So when I quote facts in that book, in, in the book, the, the facts are the facts. So if you're, are you asking me what's different about promoting it? Because your, your competition is different. So when you enter book contests, for example, I've just entered a variety of book contests and audiobook contests. I have to enter it in the fictional category and my competition is different than it would be in a nonfiction memoir. So those are things to think about. It's interesting. Never dawned on me to enter one of my books into a book contest. Okay. So yeah. this is a, an amazing thing. There's a life-saving power in writing your story. One is for yourself because getting it out gets you through. Love yeah. that one. The other is in its ability to impact other people's lives and to be a guide, to be an inspiration. So if there's a third purpose, a third way that a book could save someone's life, what would it be? That telling your story, not even the book. Third way that telling your story could save someone's life, what would it be? So I'll use my podcast as an example. A guest who speaks about something horrific, some, some traumatic experience and has found new doors and new possibilities. And that pain actually took them to a place of triumph. If, if I can explain it in that way. Yeah. So one person listening to that pot, it's not just I'm, I'm reading a book and I'm, one person who listens to that podcast. Uh, one example was a woman who was gang raped, gang raped in Detroit when she was uh, 21 years old, I think. One, and now she's, uh, she runs a business helping sexual assault victims. That's just a, that's the first one that comes to my mind. One person who doesn't know how to take the first step who's who's feeling like they're alone and there isn't anyone else who feels that way hearing that person tell that story will give them hope there's a you you created this mutual you're sharing your passions your fears your joys your triumphs and when when someone tells a story that you can connect with like i hope is happening with june and jackson in, in my book hopefully the the, the main goal is that person is going to take the first step to say i can do this I can find my way. And if, if it's someone who's in the depths of despair, as my daughter was, and said, I don't feel a thing. Mm -hmm. Mom, you don't understand. I don't, it's not that I don't want to go get out of bed. I just don't feel anything. You're not alone if you're feeling that way out there. And if you hear the story of Jackson or a real life story or a speaker on a stage or anything, and you connect in some small way to that person's story, I hope it's going to help you to say, okay, hold on. There's other people that have gone through this and maybe I need to better understand this because there's some hope for me. People want to live, but they've got to find a way. They've got to find a way to get through that. Uh, I, I can never comprehend it the way my daughter explained that, that down. It's just despair. It's like nothing matters. So the idea of anyone willing to share their story has the possibility of being that one crack in the sidewalk. Oh, I love that. that allows for hope to grow. Yeah. So just that's the power of telling your story, people. Mm -hmm. Lynn, as, as we wrap this up on the life-saving power of telling your story, I just want to say thank you. One, thank you for being on the show. Two, thank you because being a guest on your podcast was just an amazing experience for me. 
But most importantly, thank you for Jackson. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm honored, Jackie. I mean, meeting you is, is, and listening to our speakers, listening to Junie and um, Debbie, I think yesterday, oh my goodness, there's so much, you, you, you know, I hope when, when all of these stories go up public, publicly, each story is going to affect hundreds, if not thousands of people to say, wow, look at what they've experienced and, and, and I can get through this too. So I, I thank you. I, I, it was a pleasure hosting you on, your on my podcast. You taught me a great deal, caused me to constantly reflect, as do your guests. And, um, and it's an honor uh, being with you today. Thank you. Thank you.